0: Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Andries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer. Jake, welcome back for episode 12, week 11.
1: Yeah, we're getting pretty deep into the season now. We're over halfway through our regular season and uh, getting pretty excited seeing the playoffs in sight now.
0: Playoffs are in sight. Trade deadline, I guess, is starting to creep in sight. We're about a month and a half away. Uh, All-star break coming up in less than a month. So, yeah, we're making some progress in this season. Last year at this point, or I guess say, I should say at this point in the number of games played in the regular season, it,
1: it was over. That was our fantasy season. Yeah, it was uh, it was really a sprint last year. And I think some of that mindset kind of carried over to this year with uh, people being a lot more aggressive than I think we'd see normally.
0: Yeah. And I was also thinking just this past week that I think maybe part of the reason that four people in our league are already at or past the trade limit of eight is because we introduced two more teams. So I think maybe naturally there's just more wheeling and dealing to go around. But yeah, uh, let's just go ahead and jump right into the episode. We got Some new things to introduce or that are replacing some of our traditional segments this week. We will talk about those as we approach them. So let's go ahead and jump right into our prior week recap. Looking back at week 10, biggest upset. Which matchup did you have, Jake?
1: All right. So I had Eddie over Mike, and I think that this is just one of those things. It's almost like the Pens and the Islanders where one team just has the number of the other team. And it always seems, no matter who's on the teams, or apparently, according to Mike, no matter what sport that they're playing, just seems like Eddie's got his number. Uh, One thing I did want to point out here is, this was very close. One thing that stood out to me was Mike started Gene, I think his name is Gene Carlos Mejia, as a SPARP. And he ended up getting negative 15 fantasy points. Uh, It wasn't quite the difference, but it would have been a lot closer had he started just a regular reliever or something like that. I I wanted to point that out because I think this year especially, we're seeing a lot more guys start just a a SPARP who might not even be very good. And I know I'm guilty of that too, just because you kind of see, oh, maybe he has one or two starts. But sometimes I think you'd be better off just kind of starting a – just a normal reliever instead of a guy cuz at the end of the day most of the time if they do have starting pitcher and relief pitcher eligibility a lot of the time they're going to be they're not a very good pitcher.
0: Yeah, and I think I'm guilty of that as well. Sometimes you just see the the old SPRP tag and you want to potentially grab the the next greatest thing, right? Cuz usually there's one to two pretty big spark breakouts every year that come off of the waiver wire, let alone our, I know this year Freddie Peralta and Carlos Rodon were drafted and those have been the biggest two spark breakouts, but typically you see one or two come off of the waiver wire. So I, I definitely understand the impulse. I also had Eddie and Mike as the biggest upset gone forever versus big money. Mike, how could you not really um, big money? Mike, he, he has the most interesting resume in the league. As far as I'm concerned, he has wins over me Courtney he has a win over you Jake and a and a win over Sam but he has losses to JC, me, Eddie two times now, Brendan and Nick. You know, you and I have both gone on the record to suggest that we like Mike's team this year on numerous occasions, but this team really doesn't seem to have an identity when it comes to head-to-head matchups. He has three wins over big teams, but hasn't managed to beat more than one team in the same caliber as his or lower as he's gone 2-5 and five against the group of me, Brendan, Nick, Eddie, and Sam. So Mike definitely, his team seems inconsistent, I guess, is the best way to put it. He uh, seems as, like
1: he's the biggest boom or bust team that I can remember in the league, just with the fluctuations in scoring for him week to week.
0: Right, yeah, he he alluded to it in last week's episode, and, and you just mentioned it, that Eddie may just be his kryptonite since... He's not only beaten Mike twice this year in baseball season, but he knocked Mike out of our basketball league playoffs. He eliminated him from playoff contention in our football league. Um, But as far as what this means for Eddie, I don't see much of a change personally. I think he will ultimately stick to the plan that he seems to have started to execute, which is selling for keepers. But yeah, that was, I think, a pretty clear cut biggest upset from this past week. The first change that we are making now to our weekly content is instead of doing most shocking outcome, Jake and I are now going to give you our biggest takeaway from the week instead of most shocking outcome that started to feel a little bit redundant. So now we're just going to give you our biggest takeaway and it'll be nice because we don't necessarily just have to talk about a matchup. We could talk about a player or a team or anything else that comes to our, you know, our mind or our thought process after seeing the week's events unfold. So I'll lead off with my biggest takeaway, Jake. I think that you have the team to be in our league. And I'm talking about even ahead of Courtney. I think after cruising to another two and a week, Jake's fantasy baseball team has finished with 275 points or more in seven of our 10 matchups so far this season. And as you have finished with 250 points or more in nine of our 10 matchups, You know, we often talk about which teams are juggernauts, which I think I'm personally guilty of associating the term juggernaut with like a, with a team that has a really high ceiling, but your team, Jake has the highest floor of any team in our league by a long shot. No other team is even close to that consistency that I just mentioned. And frankly, to give you a little bit of insight, you know, every time you make a big trade, you're probably wondering why does everybody react to my big deals so much more harshly than any time somebody else makes a big deal. I think that's why many of, of us that would consider you a rival wince when you're able to swing a trade. Because usually, what I've found now that I kind of reflect on it is you strike deals that net you about an even floor at the very least while also increasing the ceiling of your team. Those are the kinds of deals that I think win championships. The idea that, you know, I'm not really going to risk. Uh, performing worse if I make this trade, but I certainly can improve my best performance for my team with this trade. I think those are the kinds of deals that I've kind of pinpointed to you as your signature year over year. And I think that that's kind of what separates your management specifically through the avenue of trading from everybody else, is you're kind of able to maintain your floor and increase your ceiling. Those are those just seem to be the deals that you look out for. So that's my biggest takeaway. Jake's team is the team to be out of anybody else's in the league. Jake, what do you got for your biggest takeaway coming out of week 10?
1: I appreciate the compliment. I guess that is an interesting way of putting the the trading. Cause that is kind of what I try to do is not, I'm not really a huge risk taker with, with trades, but that was an interesting way to put it. My takeaway is Brendan finishing last and scoring. Um, I think this kind of, shows that his team does have a low floor and uh, maybe we're starting to see a little bit of a slip from his team he's gone he's only gone three and two against the median over the last month he's got a ton of injuries right now he's got Buxton Mats Plezac, Ozelay is out uh, I believe judge is hurt right now too I don't know if he's going to be on the IL or not but the injuries are starting to pile up and I saw he plays Scott this week but after Scott his remaining schedule before week 19, I think we are close enough to the end where we kind of can start looking at these schedules and seeing who has the easier ones, the tougher ones. Um, But after this week, he plays Nick, Jordan, then he goes through JC, me, Mike, and Nate to end the season. And that looks like that could be a gauntlet, especially if his team is still dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, He's not so far ahead where I think that he's – I don't think he's quite in danger of missing the playoffs but slipping back into the wild card is absolutely in the question or in the conversation rather um yeah uh I think that after all that praise that we talked about with Brendan's team I still think he's a, he has a good team but we may be starting to see a little bit of a slip uh, even even his total points is not quite up with the other with the other teams around him so yeah maybe a little bit of a slip and maybe he could be st- he could start to be in the wild card race instead of the top three pretty soon
0: yeah that's that's a good uh interesting takeaway a little bit of breaking news that i just saw on my phone as you were sharing shane bieber was just placed on the injured list with right shoulder inflammation or right shoulder strain actually so bad news for me i suppose on that front but let's continue moving forward Another change that we're making for our weekly content is at this point and especially since looking back over the last probably 6 to 7 episodes we've basically had the same top 3 standings update for both divisions. We are now going to shift and talk about the wild card race every single week. So starting with this week, in the first wild card spot, 7th overall in the league, we have Big Money Mike with a record of 10 and 10. Right underneath him, with the second and final wild card spot currently is Sam, weak pullout hitter. He has a record of eight and twelve. But then nipping at his heels, you have Jerwin and Jordan, both with records of seven and thirteen. That is Team Positivity, and Kenny Ross Mercedes. I think Jake, you have a, we have a little bit of a of teams go, trending in different directions here. I think Jerwin's team is clearly on the rise. Jordan's team seems to be slowly falling. Sam's team is a little bit of a question mark, as is Mike's, like we talked about earlier. Um, but I think Jerwin, I, you know, out of these four teams right here, he was the, he's the team right now that I would I would call, quote unquote, the lock. If, if it was just you had to pick one of these four teams, that's definitely going to secure a wild card spot by season's end. I think for me right now, Jerwin would be my lock. Do you have a, do you have a team in mind for that?
1: I think I'd still pick Mike. And a lot, I mean, their, their teams are close, his and Jerwin's, I think. But Mike does still have the, the three-game advantage. But Jerwin is, Jerwin is right there with him.
0: Yeah, and the, the record advantage certainly helps. I, I don't, I think Mike is a very close second, uh, just because he has such a sizable lead on the rest of them. But you know, it's, it's been shown just through his own performance this year that it it's not like he's losing to the good teams, beating the bad teams. It's pretty much a mixed bag on both ends. So what that indicates to me is like, sure, Mike's team could probably beat any. It's shown that it can beat anybody in the league, but it could also lose to anybody in the league. And I don't know that that kind of instability. I still think he makes the playoffs, but it it leads me to picking Jeroen as the more stable option, the, the lock quote unquote to make the wild card at this point. So that'll be an interesting one to watch the, the wild card race. So that is why we're, like I said, shifting toward looking at the wild card instead of the top three in each division moving forward. Our player and team analysis portion of the podcast. We only had one trade this week and it just came through less than an hour ago. It was Nick giving up Wander Franco and Scott giving in return Shohei Otani. Jake, what did you make of this deal?
1: This, this trade is super interesting to me. I like, I like both players. And contrary to my prospect rant last, last week, I do actually like Wander Franco a lot because I think that he, has, he is going to have a pretty high floor considering his play discipline is awesome. I, I think for prospects, one of the biggest things that they struggle with is they come up and they strike out a lot. Uh, Franco doesn't really have a huge any huge strikeout issues, so I think that that'll help him a little more transitioning than some of these other guys. But Otani, Otani's really good. He if he ha- ends up getting outfield eligibility, which Nick kind of alluded to to looking at, which I think I have to give him credit. That's really clever to look at that. Because if he actually gets outfield eligibility, suddenly Otani is probably a top thirty, top twenty-five player for me at least. Because now he's not going; to, he doesn't have to sit in my utility spot. Gives me a little bit more freedom, and he's already he he ha, he has a a great bat. If he has a two start week, maybe you throw him in there as a pitcher. It's Otani's a very interesting player, and he also I believe this year doesn't. I think he, he's available for at a later later round than Franco is, isn't he?
0: I'd have to check on that. I know that they were drafted at a similar point, but I will pull it up right now. He was drafted in the eleventh round, so he's actually eligible to be kept in the eighth. Wonder Franco is eligible to be
1: kept in the ninth. Uh, okay, well, they're still pretty close. I I I think I'd give this edge to Nick. Maybe it's close, but I Otani's. If Otani does get outfield eligibility, I, I really like it's still an if. But I, yes. I I would like that a lot for Nick's side if he does.
0: Yeah, I think both teams got what they were looking for out of this deal. Um, as far as Otani making enough appearances in the outfield to gain eligibility, he currently has one in left field, so it's not likely that he gets left field eligibility. He has four in right field right now, so that seems like the most likely landing spot for him if he's able to muster up ten appearances, which I'm guessing that he will. It's just a matter of when I would guess that it comes before our fantasy playoffs, which that's the point that it ultimately matters for as long as Nick is able to make the playoffs, which it looks like he will. Um, And if he does, then you're looking at a lineup where Nick has Contreras at catcher, which he hasn't been, I'm not even going to say he's been good this year. Like he hasn't, but you know, you're not uncomfortable with Contreras at catcher Matt Olson, who we're actually, well, I plan on touching on later in this episode at first base, who's been one of the best in the league. He can then move Whit Merrifield to second base. I know Jazz Chisholm started off hot. He has not stayed hot. So Whit Merrifield being able to slot in at second for Nick would be big time. He has Manny Machado at third base, who's a proven stud. Um, Still kind of figuring out that shortstop position. He has Adalberto Mondesi on IL. He has Ahmed Rosario in there currently. So maybe that's a point that he could address. But then his outfield at that point would be Christian Yelich in left, Cody Bellinger in center, and then Shohei Ohtani in right field. So that would certainly be what Mike called last week a stacked offense if Ohtani is able to gain right field eligibility and and kind of give Nick that freedom to move his lineup around as he would want to. So I do like the trade for both. Um, Interesting for Nick that he keeps racking up these trade fees. I know he's not afraid to go out and make a deal, clearly. I think that if he ends up not winning his money back, you are going to see a strong opposition from him as to the trade limit because he will then have wasted. I don't know. We got to be on pay. How much have you collected from Nick at this point? It's probably around the same as Mike, who I think has what, 20 or 25?
1: I think it's at least 20 from Nick, but I'm not positive. Let me check my my Venmo real quick because that's a, <laughs> that's how I get all these now.
0: Yeah, so... Uh-huh. I don't, I'm not suggesting that Nick won't finish top three, but that's what he's going to need to do to recoup his buy-in fee plus all of his trade fees. I think that's how we're doing payouts this year. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jake. Um, yeah, yeah. So third
1: place, you'll make your money back, including any fees that you had to pay for trades.
0: Yeah. And I'm certain that Nick is, is tr- making all of these trades with the aim to finish at at the very least, top three. But if he doesn't, I promise you, whatever strong opposition you see from him concerning the trade limit now, it will be even stronger after he would, at that point, hypothetically, have paid twice as much as everybody else to not make any money. So we will stay tuned for both Mike and Nick to see if they're able to win their money back and potentially more with the top two finish. We'll see what happens. That was our only trade of the week, as I mentioned. So now we're going to get into our mailbag and I'm going to call this part one because we may be, we might bring this back later in the season. But as you guys know, you guys just basically sent us in all of your questions, anything for Jake and I to answer, just kind of firing off at the hip. We didn't prepare responses to these, but here they are. Nobody wanted to remain anonymous. So I'm going to let you know who asked the question and we're just going to go through them one at a time. First one came from Jordan. He said, I think it's pretty clear that both of you spend the most time on the league. I'm curious as to how much time per week you'd say you look at analyzing players or updating your rankings. I feel like both of you consistently say, quote, they moved up or fell in my rankings, end quote. You actually look at every eligible player every week to see how they rise and fall compared to other players. Jake, go ahead.
1: All right. So I do actually have a set of in-season rankings, and this is the first time I've done them. i had not the only reason I actually kept them was because I didn't know if we were going to do rankings, debates, or anything for this podcast. So I figured what I did, what I just did was I kept my draft rankings and just kind of edited them as I as I went. Uh, I will probably not do that again because I don't. I have not really used them for any for much of anything, um, and we have not done any rankings debates on the podcast so next year I probably won't keep them if we don't plan on implementing that but yeah I basically all I pretty much did for my in-season rankings is I kept my draft rankings and like once a week or whenever I feel whenever I have a couple minutes to look at something or something catches my eye I'll just change it
0: yeah and for me I have never maintained in-season rankings i make my own rankings leading up to the draft and then usually at season's end i'll go back and look at those rankings that i made preseason to prepare for the draft and kind of just see i guess where things went well where i went wrong um but that's mostly to kind of prepare and see if i can improve anything for my draft prep for the following season and not so much for my in-season Player evaluation so i would say for me during the season my player analyzation and and how i rank players is more it's kind of all based on context for me like usually when i'm analyzing players or, or considering where does this guy rank for me versus another guy that i'm looking at it's exactly in that context which is a comparison context where i'm seeing Let's use an example of Jared Walsh in my lineup as my first baseman. I'll go out and I'll look at all of the other first basemen in our league right now and see who I can potentially target on the waiver wire or target via trade and kind of stack that guy up who I'm targeting compared to my current player of Jared Walsh. And I'll kind of do like a one-to-one deep dive on, is this guy actually an upgrade from the player that I'm currently carrying how much of an upgrade, how much would I pay to justify that upgrade, et cetera. So to make a long story short, I do not have some master list that has players listed out at every position and, and what they're ranked at. And I kind of shift players up every single week based on how they've been performing. I kind of, you, I, I lean on my instinct a little bit more during the season and kind of do direct player comparisons and, and answer the question to myself. How do, how do these two rank against one another when I'm looking to make trades or analyze players against one another? So.
1: That's kind of how I did it before this season. Like I said, the only reason I kept rankings going into this season is because I didn't know if I would have to use them for the podcast. But otherwise, I definitely prefer doing it the what kind of the way how Nate just said, where you're pretty much just comparing players against one another. Uh, it's much easier. It's less time-consuming and... I don't, think, I don't think having rankings for me right now really gives me any sort of advantage over anyone else.
0: Yeah, and maybe next year when I'm not also studying for my CPA exams, I could take a crack at maintaining some in-season rankings so that we can bring something new to the podcast with uh, rankings debates. I think that would be fun too. But I, I, I'm sure just from listening to you talk about it, Jake, it seems like it's a little bit more work than what it's worth for you other than podcast purposes.
1: Yeah. It would be the only reason I would keep them. I think if you wanted to do rankings debates on here, I would do them again, but yeah, if not, I am not going to, I'm not going to do rankings in season again. If, if not. Yeah. And,
0: and to be, to put it in another light, like I think put it, making rankings to prepare for the draft. I would say for me personally, that that is worth my time and effort because I think that you can take things a little bit slower leading up to the draft and take a more comprehensive look at how do all the players, you know, stack up against one another. So it kind of gives you a comprehensive look at how you want to build your team through the draft. Whereas like in season, how often are you going to actually use rankings for every single position? Maybe you're looking to upgrade your first baseman. Like I am, maybe you're up, you're looking to upgrade a starting pitcher. Um, but rarely are you looking at catcher, first base, second base, third base, shortstop. Like every single week, you're not going to. You might be utilizing one position or two positions at most, rather than all nine or ten. So, um, I do think it's worth it, depending on the context, to to put together some comprehensive rankings. Second question that we have is also from Jordan. He says, in the off season, when you create your draft rankings. What are some news and updates to players that you look for that would cause them to rise or fall? I'll keep this one brief. For me, the biggest thing that I look at um, and it's all contextual to the player because sometimes I'm researching specific players that I think I might be interested in targeting for the draft, but we'll talk about on like a grand scale. What I look for mostly is playing time. And I guess that would be specific to hitters um, because in our points league format, it's interesting. Cause we're actually going to very briefly touch on him later in the episode, but Tommy Edmund is a perfect example. You heard me say last week that Chris Bryant has been an MVP candidate. Um, Tommy Edmund has not lit the world on fire in the same way that Chris Bryant has. It's just that since he's a leadoff hitter, he's gotten that many more plate appearances. And since he's producing positive points per plate appearance, the point differential between an MVP candidate like Chris Bryant and a utility guy leadoff hitter like Tommy Edmund, um is not so big. It's not as big as you think it would be because Tommy Edmund is getting, by season's end, he'll have quite a bit more plate appearances than anybody else who's not leading off every day. So that's the biggest thing for me. And, and I'm not even saying that like I identified Tommy Edman as a guy that I liked pre-draft season because I didn't I didn't draft him I only traded for him and only as like an ancillary piece at the time but it's a it's kind of like a perfect right now example of why playing time matters and why that's something you should read into over the off-season to kind of adjust and, and prepare your draft rankings. so for me playing time is something that I weight pretty heavily relative to other things when putting together my draft rankings
1: what about you Jake yeah, so it's it's kind of all uh, like you said. It's sort of case by case, but for hitters, playing time is a big deal, and it's not just playing time. Like, are they going to lead off? It's I think this is kind of like Max Muncie a couple of years ago. Um, I really liked him heading into I think was it last year? I think it was last year, but he um, he his, his breakout year. He wasn't playing every day. The Dodgers were kind of rotating him, but he was. He was getting a lot of, he was getting a lot of points just on a per at bat basis. So one thing I was looking for with him because I knew I really liked him a lot. One thing I was looking at going into last offseason was, what's what's his playing time going to be like? Is he going to play every day? Is he going to kind of be rotating like it was before? Because if he's playing every day, that's kind of a bat like that's going to boost him up my my draft board because now that production that he he, he was playing really well, despite not playing every day, now he's going to be getting that playing time. That's a pretty big deal to me. So that's kind of what I like like to look for for hitters. Um, For pitchers, I think it goes back to uh, just pitch mix changes. Uh, You can kind of look at what's working, what isn't. Um, One thing I like to do is I like to start my ranking. I like to make my rankings and have them not completed cause I'll still edit them, but I like to have them completed before spring training starts. So that way I'm not adding anything. I'm not adding, like, I, I don't need to do my left field rankings during spring training. Cause I like to, well, I like to be able to see spring training and really kind of keep my, keep my ears and eyes and ears open to see if some of the changes that these players maybe had for the second half of last season to see if that's stuck kind of be kind of be able to see, um, Like if they are, if somebody's adding a pitch, like how, how is that going to affect them? I feel like I can, I feel like I can uh, pay attention to that more if I don't have to also worry about crafting my own rankings. So that's kind of, I guess that's kind of an insight into my process.
0: Yeah. And I was pondering before we started recording, bringing up for, for pitchers, just like looking at any potential pitch mix changes that they make, but I, assume that you were going to touch on pitchers because that's that's your thing for sure is, is talking about pitchers and analyzing analyzing pitch mix changes tunneling all, all those kinds of things that make up a pitching performance I figured you mentioned that glad that you touched on that um, our third question is from Jerwin. he said what would it take for you to change your current votes in the trade limit debate Jake I know that you actually, lean toward one side whereas i don't really so i'll actually let you go ahead and lead off
1: yeah so i mean i don't i don't really lean too much to that to one side i guess i i I like it more with the trade limit i just feel like it makes it more fun but if everybody else doesn't want it i'm completely fine flipping like i'm i'm pretty much my vote will go with wherever the majority is
0: and i don't want to sound like a broken record or be lame but that was actually my prepared answer was what you know what would it take quote unquote for me to change my vote well my vote lies with the majority so wherever more people than not are putting their votes that is where i will vote as well cuz i don't you know i like the trade limit but i also like the freedom of being able to trade as many times as i want so i think you know, there, there is a case to be made for both sides in terms of both pros and cons, but I'm the kind of guy that I actually enjoy the pros of both, so give me, give me whichever one works for everyone else is my stance there. Uh, the next question we have, again, from Jerwin, is what is your personable, or personal most memorable victory and what is your most heartbreaking loss in league history? Two quick ones that come to mind for me. You guys have heard the story a few times. John Carlos Stanton striking out four times and getting the sum, the golden sombrero to lock up the win for me against Jordan a few years ago, when Sunday night baseball was on. Obviously, Jordan and I have been league rivals for the last number of years, so that is probably my favorite win that I've ever had. Most heartbreaking loss. Uh, I wouldn't be a competitor if I didn't say it was the championship last year where Mike Clevenger got hurt. Less than an inning into his first start of what was supposed to be, I think, three starts over two weeks. Um, and then Lance Lynn, I want to say he dropped like negative 26 points after acing out all year. So though those two things really sunk me. Uh, I think I ended up losing by quite a bit in that matchup. But those two things certainly did not get me off on the right track to start that championship round. But Jake, I'll toss it to you.
1: Probably most memorable victory, probably the 2017 championship game, just because I hadn't won before. Uh, Heartbreaking loss, though, that was the 2019 championship game. And the reason is that I still kick myself to this day for starting freaking Adam Wainwright over Clayton Kershaw. And that's why I lost. Like I I went back and did I did the math and that was the that was the swing that kind of did me in. Never do the math that way. Just as a PSA, because uh, you're just torturing yourself if you go yeah. back and like just those. Uh, if it's close, so what moves could I have made that wouldn't have that would have caused me to win instead of losing? But uh, yeah, the the Wainwright Kershaw swing. Yeah, analysis by analysis is what is what that was. <laughs> yeah, that one
0: hurts. That one hurts. Any championship loss hurts to look back on even if like you crushed me last year but it's still like i don't look back on it and be like ah, i couldn't have done anything different that's all right i'm good with second place like hey, if you're in the championship and you lose it's it's a heartbreaking loss no matter how it goes down so the next question we have is from mike and this is actually one that we're going to close the episode and talking about so i think we're just going to very briefly touch on it now the question is how does the current value of pitching, as well as heading into next year, change, if at all, due to the crackdown on foreign substance use? I'm going to keep my answer very brief and say that I think the simple answer is we just don't know. Because we don't know if Major League Baseball is actually going to suspend every or anybody. Uh, if they do, we don't know who that's going to be we're not totally sure which pitchers of the aces quote unquote are using foreign substances. Like I'm, I'm pretty confident that Jacob de is not, I think he's the unicorn. He has been for the last two years, but even in this topic itself, I think he's the unicorn where he is, you know, on another planet without even using the sticky stuff. But outside of de I'm not, I have no idea who else, might not be using it. I think the assumption for me is that most pitchers are using it. So the short answer answer is I don't know. If I had to take a guess, I think pitching is going to be a little worse just across the board, and I think a little bit more offense is going to be introduced into the game, which I think is Major League Baseball's aim. But I'll cut it off there and ask what your thought is on this, Jake.
1: Yeah, it's pretty similar to what you said. Uh, There's really no way to know. You can guess by looking at the the decreases in RPM, but there's really no way to know for sure. And I think really my guess would be that it's going to kind of, how we value pitching is going to sort of be back to how it was maybe going into 2020 or 2019, where the, just the the highest or the guys at the, the top of the mountain are, are the, are very, are more valuable and kind of the, uh, like the middle class at pitcher is going to suffer a little bit. And that's kind of the, the the assumption that I, that everybody's using it, but there's really no way to tell no way to know for sure who's using it.
0: Yeah. I think we will probably find out by season's end. I think that'll be the interesting storyline of this season is if like they're really, and it seems like they are because a, a ton, you'll hear later in the episode a ton of pitchers revolutions per minute or their spin rate is what they call it on their pitches are going way down. Um, and I don't think that that is just a temporary trend. Like if all of these pitchers are not using the sticky stuff anymore, which is what you're seeing with all these numbers across so many different teams going down among their pitching staff with their spin rate. And I think it, it probably indicates to the rest of us that major league baseball is very serious about enforcing this and the pitchers are not calling their bluff at all. So I think that this is going to be a trend that plays out for at least the rest of the season. And I'm really interested to see what happens. I think that this is going to be something that we continue to talk about for the rest of the season. So the next question that we have again from Mike, we kind of did these questions in strings uh, from the various people who submitted questions it is, which family matchup do you most anticipate? And the choices are Mike versus Nate, Mike versus Nick, Mike versus Scott, Courtney versus Jake, or Nick versus Jake. Jake, what is your pick among these? It's Nick versus Nate. That's my pick, too. It's, it has it's, to be. Yeah, it's, I think that's the, mo- the, the most animosity in the chat, the most trash-talking that's Absolutely. that's the matchup that that composes all of that and i i, I got to give my brother credit outside of outside of you jake i think nick is probably the uh, the person that i can point to like somebody else besides me that i kn- i just know if we if i'm playing in a fantasy league with him he's going to be in the playoffs he's going to be one of the best teams is going to be one of the best managers. I just there there's a few and it's not a diss to anybody else, because um, anybody can certainly make playoffs and have good years, but there are few people who have the skill of being among the very best in any season, in any sport, and in any league. And the two people when I when I'm thinking of other people that that compose those qualities, the two people that I think of are you, Jake my brother Nick. And obviously you and I aren't family, so you're not you and I don't count in this matchup. But then again, like even if we we were, you and I don't really trash talk each other. Nick and I will bring the heat anytime we're playing each other. Now, I I heap all of that praise onto Nick to now say, "But I think that I have a proven track record of being just a little bit better than Nick at fantasy." Um He's very, very good. He has a first-place finish in our fantasy football league, and I only have one first-place finish. But I've been in the championship all three years that we've done it. He's been in the championship just once. It's un- a little unfair not, – not even a little. It's unfair to try to compare baseball because obviously this is his first year playing. But I think – it's fair to say within this unfair comparison that I still give myself the nod as a fantasy baseball player over Nick. And then the only other sport that we have experience playing in other than football and baseball is basketball. And we actually co-managed a team in Eddie's league this past year. And we won the whole league in our very first year of ever playing fantasy basketball. So Nick and I are as neck and neck as you can get as fantasy managers. Um, But I, I think I still have the slight edge to be able to trash talk him when it comes to baseball matchups, because even if he beats me in the regular season, I'll just say, listen, bro, put together a more successful resume than me and then let's talk. Or if I beat him, I get to trash talk him on that individual week basis. So it's kind of a win-win for me. (laughs) It's pretty great right now, but that could certainly change. I I don't have much of a lead over Nick in terms of our overall fantasy resumes, but I think it's, it's my favorite family matchup um. Yeah, I don't think there's there's anything else left to say. We'll have to have
1: Nick on to for his rebuttal.
0: I know that he's going to have a rebuttal in the chat, but I, everything that I point out pointed out was objectively true. We've won the basketball league together. I have a first place and two second place finishes in our football league. He has a first place, a third place, and I think a fourth place. I think that's right. And then you know, we haven't completed a full season of baseball just yet. So based on the things that we can compare, I've, it's like a one a one B situation. So, but we are very close and and Nick's a great fantasy player. As you guys all know, it's his first year playing baseball and, and he's, you know, up there with the best of us in the league. So. The next question we have, this one's an interesting one. And I actually was, I was looking forward to answering this. I I think you and I are probably going to be in agreement here, Jake. So. Mike asks, will we see a pitcher drafted number one overall for the very first time in league history next season with both Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole being released back into the draft pool? Jake, what do you say to this?
1: Uh, Jacob deGrom should absolutely be the number one overall pick next year as it stands right now.
0: I agree. I would take Jacob deGrom over any hitter. As it stands right now, even with him going down for probably, did you see the latest, I don't know, I I haven't seen the latest news on him, is he going to be out like two weeks now?
1: Uh, He's making his next start.
0: There you go, he's a superhuman, he defies logic, he is going to be, unless he gets like Tommy John surgery, Jacob DeGrom will be our number one overall draft pick next
1: season, so... If I can just like say something too, it's just going on I I just I don't get the chance to talk about Jacob DeGrom very much, but like he's basically throwing a fastball and a slider only this year. And he's throwing them in like the same locations and hitters still can't do anything with it. Like they know what's coming and they just still can't hit
2: it.
0: Yeah, I think I saw it was either twenty five or twenty six. His last twenty-five or so strikeouts, every single strikeout pitch itself has been outside of the strike zone. Not one single strikeout in his last 25 has the third strike been put inside the strike zone. So you go back, 25 outs. All those hitters had to do on that very last pitch that they were out on was just not swing. But he's that good that he's made 25 in a row swing at a pitch outside the zone and miss. That's,
1: that's crazy. Yeah, one thing I, I'm in another league with my with some of my older relatives, and the, my my hot take that I've been telling everybody is uh, this current version of Jacob Degrom. If you put him in any era at any time, he would be the best pitcher in that in that era or that year.
0: I was actually thinking that today. I was thinking if you dropped Jacob Degrom back in, let's say 1999, which everybody considers probably the best season ever by a pitcher with Pedro Martinez. If you put Jacob Degrom in the the old-school baseball era where they just let pitchers go, or if you even send them back further to, like say, the 1960s where they let guys pitch complete games every single time they were out, Jacob deGrom would undoubtedly undoubtedly be the greatest pitcher of all time. It wouldn't even be close. I think the Mets don't really treat him with kid gloves relative to the rest of the league in today's era of baseball, but if you consider how the Mets treat Jacob deGrom today – to how pitchers were treated back in Pedro Martinez's era or back in the sixties when Bob Gibson was pitching, they treat him with kid gloves. So if he was not treated with the kid gloves, so to speak, you'd be unquestionably the greatest pitcher of all time.
1: Yeah. The last time that he actually went over a hundred pitches was all the way back in April 23rd. So it's been a while since they, they don't, they don't even let him go that deep into games pitch count wise.
0: Yeah, another I don't this one's not necessarily breaking news, but another bummer for me. So not only was Shane Bieber placed on the 10-day IL with a right shoulder strain, but it just came out that Max Scherzer is no longer going to start on Wednesday versus the Pittsburgh Pirates because his groin is not just there yet. So, man, I'm taking the hits this week. I'm going to have to run out Sandy Alcantara, Luis Castillo. Alcantara is not so bad. Castillo this this will be an interesting week for me.
1: But sto is that bad, is the problem.
0: <laughs> he's been good the last two times out. He's had, a, let's see, 12 strikeouts to four walks. He's thrown almost 12 innings and given up four earned runs. That's not oh. great, but it's definitely not bad.
1: It's, it's not what you expect. I mean, it's better than what he's been, for sure.
0: Let's put it this way. I am playing Russian roulette this week, pointing the gun at my head, hopefully loaded a loaded barrel of Luis Castillo does not come out and kill me. Um, Let's keep moving forward because I'm only, I promise I'm not just looking at my own player page. I keep getting updates from Bleacher Report. So let's look at the next question, which is another one from Mike. If there is a pitcher suspended for using foreign substances, who will be first, Trevor Bauer, Garrett Cole, or another pitcher? Jake, I'll let
1: you take a swing at this one. Uh, it's probably going to be some no-name guy, because I don't think that they have. I don't think they got the stones to suspend one of these stars right off the ba- right off the bat.
0: See, I think it would be Trevor Bauer if he wasn't so very obviously not using the foreign substances anymore. Like he has been the guy that everybody is posting all over social media as hey, look, Trevor Bauer's spin rate is down on every pitch. Hey, look, Trevor Bauer's spin rate is down. They've been doing it for each of his last two to three starts. Um, I think that the MLB would suspend Trevor Bauer without pause if he were to test using foreign substances after this crackdown has started. I think he would be the first uh, that they would definitely say, yep, let's bring down the hammer. But I think he's being very obvious about, like, hey, I'm not using them anymore. Leave me alone. (laughs) So I tend to agree with you, Jake, that it's just going to be some whoever gets caught first. It's not going to be like, how can they make an example out of somebody that's clearly not using the, the sticky stuff anymore? So I don't think it'll be Cole. I don't think it'll be Bauer. I just think it's going to be whoever tests the waters first and actually uses pine tar or whatever they're using in a game. that's no longer allowed. So sorry if that doesn't entertain you, Mike, but that's probably the accurate answer.
1: Next that's question. They did. Oh, sorry, I was going to say that's what they did in the steroid era for a while. They kind of, they, they would, ju- they would say that they were going to crack down on all the on steroid use, but they only would ever really suspend these no name guys or minor leaguers. They wouldn't, they would, they would try to put off going after the, the studs for just as long as they could.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, next question we have from Mike. He, he submitted a lot of questions this week, which we appreciate. Uh, this one is interesting. Which current MLB or NFL player would have the best chance to be a two-sport star athlete in baseball and football? I'll give you my answer first. And the way I thought, the, thought about this was if we're talking about a star athlete, as in somebody who is successful at the highest level of both sports, I am going to figure out who is the baseball player that has the best chance of succeeding in the NFL, because I think baseball is a lot harder than being a player in the NFL. That may be controversial, but that is my opinion. That it takes a lot more skill to be in the major in the major league level, um, not just in the minor leagues. Because I know I know Kyler Murray was drafted in the first round of both, so that you might think he he would be a good choice here. But to make it at the major league level and be successful, I'm picking a guy that's already there, and then a guy that has what I would think is enough athleticism to prop to maybe make it at the NFL level. And like, st- I'm not saying, I guess st- if you're asking who the star would be, it would be hard because that's a very, it's <laughs> a very high expectation in terms of performance at both sports, but I'll just give you my pick. It's Aaron judge. I want a guy that's already succeeding in the ma- in major league baseball and who I think might have a shot at succeeding at the NFL, not vice versa. Jake, who are you going with?
1: Yeah, I was going to say either Judge or Giancarlo Stanton because they seem like they have the they're, – they're good at baseball. They also have the uh, the athletic tools to be well, – and they're also big, I think, to be maybe like a tight end or something.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking was Judge could be like a tight end. You know, you could also talk about Kyler Murray. He was, I think, drafted inside the top 10 overall by the Oakland Athletics a couple years ago. So, like – Kyler Murray would probably be the most correct choice because I don't actually believe that Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton would ever make it or have a prayer of making it in the NFL. But baseball is so hard that even a guy that was drafted in the top 10 picks after being away from the sport for a couple years now and Kyler Murray like I almost think that he would have just as much of a chance of making it in Major League Baseball as Aaron Judge would have a chance of making it in the NFL like that's how hard baseball is in my eyes, so just gives you a little bit of an insight. I do think baseball is harder than football, but
1: yeah, John Carlos stands would easy. probably get hurt running out of the tunnel for football. right
0: right. so I mean judge might too, to be honest they're they're both always hurt yeah that's that's an interesting question. and then the last question we have from Mike. Is which two teams will make the World Series and who's going to win? Jake, do you have a prediction?
1: Uh, it's hard to prediction. bet. Yeah, it's hard to bet against the Dodgers. I know that's not really a fun pick, but it is kind of it is pretty tough to bet against them in the National League. Uh, the American League gets a little more interesting. You got the Rays. Uh, I do like I like the White Sox. Probably they'd probably be my pick. Uh, who do you have winning out of the Dodgers and the White Sox? Uh I'll say that uh, Tony LaRusso screws something up. So the Dodgers will will go back to back.
0: So I was thinking about picking the Dodgers, but they're not even the best in their own division. And the team that is the best in that division, the NL West has earned their way to being the best by beating both the Dodgers and the Padres butts. So I'm going to say that my picks for the world series are the San Francisco Giants and the Chicago White Sox and I'm actually going to say that I think the Giants are just a destiny bound team with all these old guys suddenly making career resurgences and performing like all stars and the Giants just had a little bit of world series magic in the last decade so I'm going to say the Giants win the world series this year top in the Chicago White Sox The um, Dodgers
1: just feel like that like they can just turn it on really at any point though like it feels like how the, I guess to use an NBA reference, it feels like the Warriors a while ago where they just kind of coasted through the, through the regular season and then they just turned it on in the playoffs. That's that's what this this version of the Dodgers feels like to me.
0: Or Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Just turned. They he got whooped thirty-one to three by the New York by the New Orleans Saints in the regular season this past year and then cruised his way to a Super Bowl victory at. 43 years old i think he is now yeah Yeah, i I agree the dodgers are probably the right pick even though the giants are ahead of them in the standings but i i think the giants are a fun fun team this year so i would like to see them not only not sell but it would be fun to see them make the the world series for a change so that's my pick the last question that we have for our mailbag segment is from nick he said nate mentioned his guy tommy edmond as a guy who's quietly having an mvp type of season who else is quietly putting on an mvp performance that is flying under the radar and jake i have to say uh maybe he'll come out and deny it but i think that this might have been a targeted question because i think nick was saying hey like just flip flip over to my roster just just look real quick because you guys haven't talked about him yet this season he's been awesome And it's fully deserved. So even though the question was maybe framed for me to look at it this way, I'll say that even if it wasn't, that this pick is totally deserved. Matt Olson has been putting up MVP numbers uh, and, and nobody has been talking about it. Matt Olson is, I think, a top three first baseman on the year. He might even be number two right behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but that is backed up by a career best expected weighted on base average, a career best expected slugging percentage. He has nearly a career best strikeout percentage, and it's only topped by his rookie season where he got to see 106 total pitches. So I'm not even totally sure that that counts. Um, But basically Matt Olson has his best plate discipline of his career. He's crushing the ball more than he ever has, and he's getting on base more than he ever has before. Matt Olson is easily my pick as player who is putting up an MVP, MVP performance, but is flying under the radar in the sense that nobody's really talking about it. Jake, what's your pick?
1: Yeah, Matt Olson's definitely would would have been my top choice as well. Uh, He's actually right now. He is the fourth overall hitter. And that's just, that's not, that's not first base. That's everybody. So he's definitely having a great season. Uh, Yuli Gurriel is another one who we haven't really touched on who's been who's been really good. He's the sixth overall hitter. Uh, Marcus Simeon, who kind of, I think we kind of left for dead after the dud he had last year. Uh, and then I know that I know this is MVP, so pitchers probably aren't gonna earn it. But I did want to shout out Zach Wheeler, basically becoming one of the upper tier aces. Uh, I really like him a lot now. He's he gets he gets volume. He strikes guys out. And uh, I can also shout out Kyle Gibson and uh, Chris Bassett as well. They're all, they are both having uh, very good seasons and I don't think they, they're getting much recognition at all.
0: Yeah. All good picks. I, I was thinking about mentioning pitchers too, but like you said, it's very challenging for a pitcher to win the MVP award. DeGrom is not out of the question to do it this year. Certainly Doesn't help if he keeps missing a start here or there with some injury scares, but since he's not missing starts, even when he does get injury injured, uh, he definitely has a good chance of winning MVP this year, which is a very rare feat from a pitcher. I think the last one, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, but it was Kershaw back in, I think 2014 to win MVP.
1: Yeah. And then right before that Verlander won it. I can't remember the last time a pitcher won before those two though.
0: Maybe Pedro Martinez back in his heyday. That sounds I, can't right. remember I don't if know he if he won actually MVP won MVP, but that would feel right to me. Anyway, that was a good question from Nick. Matt Olson definitely deserves his props. Yuli Gurriel the same and a couple of the pitchers Jake mentioned. Kyle Gibson, Zach Wheeler. Um, who was the other one? Chris
1: Bassett. I also Marcus had uh, Marcus Simeon as well.
0: Marcus Simeon too, yeah. All, all great performances. Maybe some of them not MVP performances like yuli and matt olson but definitely those guys are flying under the radar with great real life and fantasy performances this season that's a nice segue jake into
1: your standout player of the week lay it on us all right my player of the week is Framber valdez who this past week went two and oh he pitched 14.1 innings allowed 10 hits three walks two earned runs only 10 strikeouts but that was good for 45 points or 22 and a half points per game Uh, I was really not a Valdez believer coming into this year, even before he got hurt. I wanted to see it again, but it looks like he's validating, at least in the small sample size, it looks like he's validating his breakout last year. And that's a very, very valuable pitcher in our league. Gets a lot of volume. Uh, Strikeouts should probably be a little more than what he's had so far. But yeah, he's, uh, I think he's an ace now. I'm kind of buying it.
0: Yeah, and remember, you were uh, you were on the fringe about Framber Valdez back when I asked you could he prove to be one of the best draft day values if he comes back healthy. Seems like that best case scenario is is playing out nicely for Nick, So, Good for him. He's got a,
1: he's got a nice little trio of uh, pitchers there with Valdez, uh, Rodon, and uh, Trevor Rogers. Yeah, Trevor Rogers.
0: Good old Trevor Rogers. Yep uh best matchup as we look ahead to our matchup preview for week 11 I'll go ahead and lead us off I have my matchup with Jerwin um while this matchup isn't close as far as the standings are concerned Jerry's team has been a force for the last month entering this week Jerwin would have beaten my score in 3 of the past 4 weeks in his quest to climb out of the wild card race and into the top three of the East division. I think this one will ultimately come down to relief pitching as I think the rest of our teams align fairly evenly. Jerwin has a true bullpen of relievers, whereas almost all of my pen is composed of Sparps. So this will be an interesting one to watch play out. Jake, who is your best matchup for this coming week?
1: All right. So I have Mike versus JC, and this just looks like I'm looking at it looks very even right now. Uh, I see that. They have the same amount of starters, Uh, the volume, there's no volume advantage for hitters. And I know that I I think that their teams are pretty, pretty evenly matched. And it's it just seems like what type of week are we going to get from Mike? Is he going to boom or is he going to bust? I know that JC is looking to rebound from the show in last week. So I think this will be a good one
0: would agree uh and then the last change that we have moving forward for the podcast is now instead of talking about the worst matchup for the coming week we are going to give you our thing to watch for and jake my thing to watch for this week is underdog wins i like a lot of underdogs in this week's matchups and it may match up mess up my matchup prediction record on the season but the guys that i'm looking at are nick eddie and even dare i say scott to nab wins this week Um, and you'll hear those in my matchup predictions here
1: shortly what is your thing to watch for this week all right so my thing to watch for is the outcome of jordan's game because i think that this game is must win for him and the reason why is he if he loses his, his schedule is not getting any easier uh his schedule he has a lot of tougher teams in the towards the back end uh, so he need, he needs to win this week. He's only one game out of a playoff spot, but at the same time, there's also two people in front of him. So he would need to jump both of them. And I, I think he he got to you got to win against. And no disrespect to Eddie, but he's not he, he's not his team is not as strong as some of. The, he's got to win this one. And I think if he doesn't, maybe that's maybe Jordan's now the next pretty soon coming up pretty soon. So I think the outcome of this matchup I think that that could have big implications not just for Jordan but maybe for the rest of the league as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense and it's interesting too because Eddie is 5 and 15 right now, Jordan is 7 and 13. So let's just say that Eddie puts up another strong week like he did versus Mike this past week and goes 2 and 0 and hands Jordan an 0 and 2 loss. Well, then they would actually be tied in record. I think it's pretty safe to assume that Jordan would still have the point scored tiebreaker because he's currently sitting almost 300 points ahead of Eddie right now. But that is not a place that you would want to find yourself if you're Jordan and you're hoping to make the playoffs this year would be uh, basically tied for very last in the wild card race outside of Scott's team who's sitting down there at one and 19. So that is a good pick for something to watch for this coming week. Matchup predictions. So, my record after last week on the season is 31 and 17. Jake's record after last week is 25 and 17. And Mike went three and three on his debut for this season on the podcast. So, let's get into our matchups for this week. First one we have number one contender versus team positivity. Jake, who are you picking in this matchup?
1: I am picking. Picking Jerwin to keep these positive vibes rolling, especially with the news that you're having a couple star pitchers injured. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick Jerwin to keep it going here.
0: You know, I had picked myself before Shane Bieber was going on IL before it came out that Max Scherzer is get is not going to be making a start this week, <laughs> and I felt good about that. Um, I don't feel like the balance has shifted so much that it is clearly favoring Jerwin now. I would say now the matchup feels like a toss-up to me. So I will give myself the benefit of the doubt, even if it's just for a vote of confidence, and pick my team to win this matchup. So that'll probably come back to bite me in terms of my matchup prediction record. But I got to pick myself, got to have the confidence in myself despite the injury. So I'm going with my, my team in this matchup. Second matchup we have Heiner market versus team C Deemer. I named him as an underdog that I expect to win just last segment. I am picking Nick to topple Courtney's team this week. Jake, who are you picking?
1: Uh, I'm picking Courtney's team. I know that Nick has an advantage in starts, but a couple of those are from Dylan Bundy and I don't think it's wise to bet on dylan bundy for the most part so i'm picking his team
0: i believe he did have a good start his last time out but yeah it's it's hard when he's when he's been not so good so far in the season to just trust one start um we'll, we'll see what happens with that matchup but i'm picking nick i have some confidence that he'll be able to shake things up in his own division the third matchup that we have is team no name versus the soto shuffle Again, I am making a hot take here in saying that this is going to be one of our underdog wins this week. I got Scott winning this matchup. Jake, what is your pick? Uh,
1: I think for Scott to beat a, to beat anyone at this point, I think he would have to have a volume advantage uh, for probably both pitchers and hitters. He has neither one here. It's about even, so I'm going to go with Brendan.
0: And we are just... Differing on every pick so far. Let's see if the trend continues. Our next matchup, this is going to be a good one. This was, I think, your pick for best of the week. It is JC hashtag $50 by 2023 versus Big Money Mike. Who you have winning this matchup?
1: I'm going to say that JC rebounds this week and he is able to take home the win, but it's going to be very, very close.
0: I also have JC's team there, so we agree finally for the first time this week on a matchup, both of us taking JC over Big Money Mike. The fifth matchup that we have is Jake, your team versus Sam, weak pullout hitter. I have you winning this one pretty comfortably. What is your take on the matchup?
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to win. I think I'm going to win this one here.
0: Cool. And then our last matchup of the week, the one that you think a lot is riding on is Kenny Ross, Mercedes versus gone forever. Jordan versus Eddie. I have again, something that I spoiled in last segment, Eddie winning this matchup going on a little bit of a hot streak for himself. What do you have as the outcome here?
1: All right. So this, I think this one is going to be very close. Jordan is kind of limping into this matchup. For his last matchup, he lost a couple players. I believe he lost Madrigal, Muncie. And, um, he doesn't have Loriao. He lost just lost Kennedy, but I, I think I'm going to say Jordan. Jordan. I'm going to say Jordan keeps the season alive, but barely. You don't sound confident with that. Pick. I'm not confident in this pick, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that he's gonna he's gonna pull it off here.
0: All right, there you have it. That, those are our matchup predictions this week. I'm either going to separate myself by a lot from you this week, or you're going to catch up to me, um, basically in just one week with some of the bold. Bull- the bold picks that I'm making. I just have a feeling that the underdogs are going to, are going to run the week here, but we'll we'll see what happens. It'll be an interesting week to watch. Let's get into our, around the league portion of the podcast, Jake, take it away with your
1: league history fact of the week. All right. So this week we have a slate of five new matchups that we've never had before in week 11. Our only repeat is Nate versus Jerwin. And that happened in 2018. Nate won 275.7 to 244.9, but I think that uh, I think that Jerwin will flip the script on you this week.
0: He might. He might get some last-minute help from Terry Francona and in the Indians front office, and Mike Rizzo and the the Nationals front office. Just trying to keep my aces away from me. Man, I'm, I'm just looking at my team page here. John Means on IL, Shane Bieber on IL. Max Scherzer's probably going to be put on the IL at this point. Steven Strasburg on the IL. It just goes to show you, Jake, you can never
1: have too much starting pitching. Did you happen to hire the Yankees medical staff? So that could be the problem.
0: I must have, because everybody is getting hurt. Everybody is dropping like a fly. But yeah, that is Jake's league history fact of the week. Now comes
2: week six of Jordy the General's sports book. Take it away, Jordan. What is up, everybody? We are back for another week of the sports book. Five and O record last week for me. I am on top of the world. I am back. The uh, Mike tried to put me down last week after uh, after he failed me, but I am back. Five and O on my locks last week. I'm ready to get more winners on the show. First though, going to take a look at a couple matchups. First one on on the list here. Brendan, minus 13 against Scott, total 427 points. I uh, can't love Brendan enough here. Minus 13 seems like a very low total for uh, for playing Scott. Uh, Brendan's had a tough couple of weeks, though. He's um, had, had some struggles getting really above the median, um, but... Maybe I think he's going to bounce back here, but then again, we are still waiting for Scott's first win in this league. Maybe it'll come this week. I don't know, but I think uh, Brendan could be a sneaky move here. I uh also have a stay away game, although I went five and oh in my picks last week. I'm afraid of me covering this week against Eddie. I am minus six against him, total 440 points. Like I said, I'm staying away. I have Glasner going twice, which should be good for me, but Eddie has been very sneaky at times, he's covered uh covered a couple games, especially at the end of the week, which I've been struggling at the end of the weeks. Um, also, fun fact, I have yet to hit the over. I am the only team not to hit the over yet. So maybe if you like this game, maybe recommend taking the ender on this one. But uh, like I said, I'm staying away from that one because I do not have it in one of my locks, which I won 5-0 and in last week giving me a record of 30 and 15. I am a winner. I just proved it right there. I've been waiting for it. You guys have been waiting waiting for it, but there it is, five and 5-0. Um, so I have a lot of pressure this week to fulfill that and continue to sustain it by all the confidence in Justin, minus 20 as my favorite. Um, as I've preached the last couple of weeks, we hate Mike on this segment uh, after he cost me a winning record a couple of weeks ago. Last time Justin finished below the median in week eight, he put up the number one score the following week and easily covered. I think that Justin has the capability to be the number one scoring team again this week. My underdog, Courtney, plus three. Nick finally fell against the spread last week to, to yours truly. I had that as a lock. As a reminder, I went five and O. Oh. Uh, Nick is zero oh and one all time against the spread as a favorite. Maybe, uh, maybe the luster is finally starting to wear off on Nick's team. Although Courtney being the number one team in the league as an underdog, sometimes the line is uh, too good to be true. In this case, it isn't. Courtney all day. In fact, I also have this matchup as an over. I uh, Last week, uh, I won the over as well. I have Nick and Courtney over 536 points. Uh, Nick went below the median last week. That's kind of rare for him. I expect him to bounce back. Uh, Courtney is Courtney. And uh, I expect her to continue to put up huge points. I expect this to be a very high-scoring matchup. And as a matter of fact, I believe it is one of the highest-scoring uh, matchups of the week. Let's see. Yes, it is the highest, second-highest-scoring matchup of the week, but I still think they'll hit that. My under, I have Sam and Jake under 529 points. Last week, whenever I picked Jake on the over, whenever I went 5-0, he carried that matchup. JC uh, really struggled. Can Jake carry the team to the over again? With Sam's team, I don't know. He, he, after, uh, after being hot a couple weeks in a row, he struggled last week, so I don't think that they are going to, uh, to do it this time. The league median, under 260 points. Very high median this week, even after adjusting uh, fan track's projections down. It, uh, it was close last week, actually, though, but I think it's going to continue to uh to be under even though i'm continually projecting them down Fantrax just loves to project everyone really high but yeah i think it's going to be another five and a week just like it was last week whenever i won five and oh so i am uh going to continue to dominate like i said i give winners on this show consistently and my record shows it but uh we'll be back next week back to you guys that was jordy the general's weekly sports book
0: thank you jordan Uh, Our news and notes section, Jake, is going to be comprised of just one topic this week, which I mentioned that we would get back to. Uh, The sticky stuff, the MLB crackdown on foreign substance use by pitchers. Uh, I compiled a list, and this is definitely not an all-comprehensive list, because I guarantee you that I missed a ton of names um, and a ton of their pitches. But here is a list of just some of the pitchers whose revolutions per minute on their pitches Have declined over the past two weeks. Trevor Bauer, whose four-seam fastball, slider, cutter, changeup, and sinker have all seen a decline in spin rate. Garrett Cole, whose four-seamer, knuckle curve, and slider have seen a decline in spin rate. Shane Bieber, whose curveball has seen a decline in spin rate. All I'm 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 just gonna say their pitches. All these guys and every one of these pitches that I'm naming, they've seen a decline. In their spin rate, and it's it's really interesting when you're going to hear the rest of these names: Brandon Woodruff, he, his four-seamer, his sinker, his curveball, his slider, and his changeup; Kevin Gosman and his splitter; Corbin Burns and his cutter; Marcus Stroman with a sinker and a splitter; Wade Miley with a cutter; Dylan Cease with a four-seam fastball, a slider, and a changeup; and Tyler Glass Now with a four-seam fastball, a slider, and a curveball. Jake, I guarantee you that that is not even a third of the list of pitchers who have seen a decrease in the spin rate over their last two to three starts. But those are some of the bigger names in baseball. All of them have been seeing a decrease in the spin that they can put on the ball, which is namely coming or assumed to be coming from the foreign substances that they are using to to get grip on the ball, which MLB is now saying you cannot do. We kind of touched on it earlier, but I will ask you, is this changing the way that you rank pitchers at all?
1: Uh, not not yet at least until we have more information. I think the safe assumption in the short term is that you kind of just have to assume everybody was doing it, so it's going to be the same change across the board. I think you'd get into trouble if you made any any sort of assumptions or any sort of panic moves with your with your better pitchers. Sure. Is there any insights as to which
0: pitchers or which types of pitchers will suffer or benefit the most from this, or are the effects going to be so far reaching that it would be a fool's errand to try and discern who is
1: helped or hurt by this? So this is kind of a, it's sort of a case by case thing. Um, again, you don't know who's using it and who's not. So you don't want to look, you don't want to kind of group, like this type of pitcher together and assume that er- and assume that they're all going to suffer for it because you're probably going like you got to assume that everybody's doing it and you got and it's going to be the same type of drop across the board. Uh, but as far as what it would affect, I believe that four seam fastballs uh, you, when you get a lot of spin on those, you kind of have like the rise effect. It doesn't actually rise. It just doesn't really drop a lot. And you have more, more, um, more like glove side run to it. So with those, uh, you won't get as much movement. The fastball will be straighter. It'll be a little bit more hittable. Um, something that's interesting is what I saw was, this is just for this pitcher, but Casey Mize actually might be someone who benefits from having less spin because for some pitches, you want more, uh, you want more drop, such as his splitter, and if you have if you put less spin on a splitter, you're going to have more vertical movement instead of more horizontal movement. So for him, it actually might be helpful if he had less spin on the splitter because then it's, in effect, is a better pitch. But that's not the same for everybody. Like, I don't know how that's going to affect Kevin Gosman because some some, things, some pitches are classified as the same thing, but there's not like a universal grip for a curveball or for a splitter. Everybody kind of grips it. They have like, maybe they have their own little thing that they do for it. Mm-hmm. So I guess basically a total, uh, and, and to try to sum it up, it's, you're not really going to know who it's going to affect more than others, just because there's so many different things that go into it. And there's, it's not, you're, you're going to be kind of spinning your wheels if you're trying to account for it all,
0: you're yeah. probably
1: going to make a mistake if, in ranking or making any moves if you do that.
0: Right. And I think, like I mentioned earlier, that this might be something that we see play out over the rest of the season. So it it may become more clear how to discern and adapt to this situation, this new development as the season goes on. But really early in the unfolding of this new crackdown for Major League Baseball, I think it's too hard to try to guess because I think that's all that you can really do right now at this point is just guess. And I think it would probably be a mistake unless you're just one of the luckiest people ever and somehow are able to know who would benefit or be hurt the most from this so i'd say right now it's just a guess but without naming names jake do you expect any of the high-end pitchers let's say any of the top 15 to absolutely fall off and crater without the sticky stuff like i'm not going to say is there a guy that you have in mind but would you be surprised if Let's say one or two of the current guys that we consider in the top 15 just crater this year as they try to adjust to pitching without foreign substances.
1: I had one in mind, but am I not supposed to talk about oh, it? You can't.
0: You can. I was just trying not to put the pressure on you to just,
1: you know, pick a guy if you didn't have yeah, anybody I mean, in mind. Trevor Bauer is the only one that I actually do have kind of a concern over just because we've seen how drastic like his spin, his spin rates, we've seen how drastic it is where the result or what we've seen how different the results are between when we know when he's been on the sticky stuff and when he hasn't, or when he presumably hasn't believe in he was it 2018 or 2019. He had the, I don't remember which one was his real good year, but just the, the differences in spin rates for the, between a couple of those years, it's just and the results, it, it, it is a little bit worrisome, especially since it's so drastic on all of his pitches. It's not just a couple. But yeah, it's I think otherwise it's kind of tough to it's tough to say. But Bauer's the one that I'm I'm worried the most about.
0: Yeah, Bauer's a really interesting case because he's had pretty drastic splits in his career where he'll have pretty long stretches of being like a four, like oh a four plus ERA pitcher, like a four five ERA pitcher. And then long stretches where he's a Cy Young caliber pitcher. And, and those are the splits that Jake is talking about where presumably when he is one of the best pitchers in the league and he has been on record very vocal about saying, I could be a lot better at pitching, but I have morals. I don't use sticky stuff like the rest of these guys that you're seeing on the Astros. They go down and they have big breakout performances and they're suddenly in the AL Cy Young conversation. Well, it's because those guys are cheating. He said this a few years ago. And then all of a sudden, he increases the spin rate on all of his pitches by multiple hundred RPMs. And it's very easy. After he was vocal about saying to all the analytics, I've played around with all of my pitches. The only way that I keep coming back to where I could increase my spin rate by multiple hundred RPMs on all of my pitches is by cheating. He said that out loud multiple years ago. So he's kind of like... lot of people wonder why is trevor bauer the face of this whole scandal well that's why is because he was the guy that was coming out and calling out he specifically called out garrett cole back when he was on the astros for cheating and then he eventually adapted and started cheating himself he basically said well if everybody else is going to do it and if mlb is not going to crack down on it i'm going to make it a level playing field and use it for myself and good for him he went out won an nl cy young award and got paid the richest average annual value in a contract in baseball history with the Dodgers this past offseason. But we do have on record him saying he can't get better without cheating. And then he got way better. So it's presumed that he was cheating. And now MLB is saying, if you're cheating, we are going to suspend you. And all of a sudden in his past two starts, since they've said that he looks like the guy that he used to be before he started cheating or before he started closing his mouth about cheating anyway, which was like a 4.5 ERA guy. So a long-winded way of saying Jake is, I think, on the right track by saying that uh, Bauer is a pretty easy guy to point to, where there's a, a point in his career that you can point to, like, yeah, he probably started using foreign substances right here. He got way better. And now all of a sudden MLB says it's not allowed anymore. And since that day that they said it's not allowed anymore, he's been back to the guy that he looked like before he stopped or before he stopped talking about cheating. So
1: yeah. One more thing I could add on Bauer that kind of, this is sort of what, this is what worries me. Like I know that I've said a lot of stuff is speculation, but this kind of points me towards, yeah, he would like even coming into this year, I was pretty sure that Bauer was using some sort of sticky substance. And the reason for that is in 2019 to 2020, his velocity actually declined yet. His spin rate on all of his pitches increased. That's not really supposed to happen because when you throw the ball, um, like when you're for, – for, well, for a fastball anyways. For a fastball, if you're able to th- – if you throw it harder, generally it's going to spin a little bit more. And he's throwing it slower, but it's, but it's spinning more. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So that's uh, – uh, I don't think that got talked about a lot coming into this year, but that to me kind of says that he – Something something has to give there because he's that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that he'd be he'd be losing velocity yet gaining spin rate on his fastball.
0: Yeah, and Jake, could you go ahead and tell our audience who the leading team in spin rate was in baseball in 2020? Do You know, off the top of your head,
1: I think it was the Reds, wasn't it?
0: It was the Reds who Trevor Bauer was a part of their pitching staff. As, a, as an entire team, they averaged the most revolutions per minute across all of their pitches in baseball. This year, there has been another pitcher who has been able to decrease his velocity but increase his spin rate, also in the National League. Could you uh, take a guess and tell me who that is if you haven't heard it?
1: I think it's Walker Bueller, isn't it?
0: It is Walker Bueller, who is now teammates with Trevor Bauer. Bauer. so Coincidence?
1: I think not. <laughs>
0: exactly. And, and it's actually not just Walker Bueller. Clayton Kershaw, even though his velocity is kind of naturally going down with age, he was able to increase his spin rate this year, even though his velocity is way down from what it used to be when he was prime Clayton Kershaw. So it's not just Trevor Bauer, presumably. It's not just Trevor Bauer that's cheating. Wherever he's going... Um, And some people have even had the conspiracy theory that the Dodgers paid him in parts for him to bring his quote unquote recipe for his sticky stuff to the team for the rest of them to use, because the Reds were the leading team in spin rate last year. You see the Dodgers best pitchers outside of Bauer this year, even though their velocity is going down, their spin rate is going up, which is a huge anomaly. So it's not just Bauer. It's wherever he goes. uh, He's kind of bringing the cheating with him. And I, I, I'll be honest. Like, it sounds like Trevor Bauer is a huge hypocrite in all of this because he said, I'm not going to cheat because I have morals. And then he started cheating to level the playing field. I don't really blame him. Um, anytime you're a four or five ERA guy and you know that, like, I don't know if he knew that he was going to be the Cy Young, but you know that you can be a lot better than you are just by doing a simple thing that MLB is not punishing anyone for. And, it, you know, he started doing it and it led him to, like I said, the richest average annual value contract in baseball history. I'm not going to blame a guy for doing that. Like, good for Trevor Bauer. Um, and it's a good thing that they cracked down on it now as opposed to last season because he got paid, and and I'm sure that even though he's make he's being made out to be the face of this scandal, you know, I'll trade a little bit of drama and being made the face of a baseball scandal for – 105 million dollars or whatever it is that he was paid. So so good for Trevor Bauer when
1: it's all said and done to be honest. Yeah, um, one last note on uh, what I said about the spin rates and velocity. It is possible to do. It's just how much Bauer was a how much spin Bauer was able to put on his fastball that was kind of what was weird about it. Like it is possible to throw it slower and have more spin, but it's just the amount of spin he had on it compared to the velocity loss was what kind of didn't really didn't really jive with me
0: yeah i'm actually looking at a graph that maps velocity and spin rate from 2020 among all starting pitchers that qualified and there's this you know there's this regression line that has like 100 pitchers on it or near it uh, where their velocity, the higher it goes, the higher their spin rate. And the guys that don't have high velocity, their spin rate is pretty low. Like it's it's pretty linear. And then you have Trevor Bauer. It's I wish I could show you right now, Jake. He is about the midway point in velocity, but he is by far like almost a whole quadrant over from the very next pitcher who has the next highest spin rate over from the other guys. In terms of he has the best spin rate in baseball from 2020. And interestingly enough, I just mentioned it, but the guy who had the second highest spin rate was Tyler Malley, his teammate last year. So he is a yeah, huge in, outlier.
1: <laughs> in statistics, we would we would call that a high leverage point. And those are those are very problematic in data sets. Those can throw a lot of stuff off. So something, something's not right there.
0: Right. But Yeah, um, hopefully we delivered on your question, Mike. I know we kept it brief earlier, but that was because we were saving some discussion here for the end. But that is all of our news and notes. We wanted to kind of keep the episode a little bit briefer this week since we did a long one last week. So thank you all for listening to episode 12 of the Best Player Wins Fantasy Baseball podcast. We will see you guys next week for episode 13 and week 12. Again, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
2: Yerp.